to unbalanced.mn. It took me a little bit longer than I meant for it to to get back to this. Uh, basically, trying to get this out every week was just killing me. I was beating my head against the wall, staying up to midnight three, four times a week, and still hitting, you know, about every 10 days for an episode. Uh, moving forward, I'm going to back that off. We're going to shoot for bi-weekly now, every other week, and see if I can maintain my sanity a little bit better. Hopefully we can avoid some of these unplanned big hiatuses. I don't want to promise anything I can't guarantee, but there is a chance that in the coming months we might be able to bump that up back to like once a week. For now, we're just going to jump right back into where we were last episode. If you remember, we were talking about Alpha News' crime coverage and how they source it entirely from something called the Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information Network. We have a ton of info to get through, so in this episode we're not going to do fact check or read of the week, and we're still going to hit our half hour limit here. And then we're going to finish up next week. Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information is a network of several websites, an Instagram account, a Patreon, and nine Facebook pages. There's one page for each of the Minneapolis Police Department's five precincts, a Minneapolis-wide page, a St. Paul page, a Twin Cities-wide page, and a page focusing on sex offenders. They first appeared on August 10th, 2010, when the second precinct Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information page went live, covering crime and news in the Northeast. It's worth noting that the page name has never changed, so the creator or creators may have intended it to be a network from the beginning. And if they did plan on growing the page into the network it is today, they took their time. Two years after that first page went live, between December 2011 and January 2012, three more pages went live. The North Side, which is the 4th Precinct, and two for the South Side, 3rd and 5th Precincts. The page for the Downtown, the 1st Precinct, went up in April that year, 2012. Then, sporadically, over the next several years, more pages were added. The Minneapolis-wide page in 2014, the St. Paul page in 2015, Minnesota Predatory Offenders and Suspects in 2016, and TC Crime Watch and Information in November 2019. They are still very much active and very much growing what they are. And they're huge. Their established pages have some of the largest followings of any Facebook page covering Minneapolis, with page follows ranging from more than 5,000 at the low end to more than 31,000 at the high. For context, MinPost has 27,000 follows on Facebook. Now, their content might be showing up in your feed and you might not realize it, or if you do, you might not realize what they are. The bread and butter of their work is blow-by-blow -blow coverage of police scanners. Now, this is supplemented with mugshots and criminal histories and hot takes on crime and crime-adjacent issues. The Facebook pages are moderated by somewhere between 5 and 25 individuals, but we have no idea who they are or where they're located, except that Facebook swears they're from somewhere in the U.S. Now, we don't know who they are because they're extremely cagey. They refuse to share even basic information about who they are, and there's very little hard information about their identity, ideology, or agenda. I'll try not to overuse the word problematic in this episode, but it's going to come up a lot. 1. Their anonymity is problematic Two. on its face, but especially because, as we went into last episode, there's a straight line from them to GOP donors, strategists, and policy wonks, though we have no idea what the nature of their connection is. 
Do they get money? Do they get editorial oversight? Do they lend their identity to Alpha News? Or are they like-minded, but basically separate entities? We know a little, including that Alpha News publishes articles in their name, while Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information republishes those articles and attributes them to Alpha News. We don't know where the political machine ends and the Crime Watch network begins. Now, given their timeline, I really don't think that they're an extension of the Freedom Club in the way that Alpha News and Center of the American Experiment are. David Schultz is a political science professor at Hamlin University, and he, he told me once that he didn't know if Alpha News was a right-leaning local news outlet that had veered into partisan political advocacy or a partisan political advocate masquerading as local news. There's no doubt that they are and always have been a political organization. But I believe that the Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information Network is a right-leaning local news outlet that has veered into partisan political advocacy and found an ally in the Freedom Club's media machine, especially Alpha News. What their relationship is now, though, is impossible to say. For more info about what we know about that connection, go back to last episode, episode 6, The Wolf Kids of Minneapolis. So, how can we evaluate individuals who refuse to come out of the shadows? I've been pulling on a few threads for the last couple weeks, and I'm proud to say that their carefully knit mask now has some big holes in it, though we still can't see their faces. The first thing I did was just send them a message. Or nine, actually. The same one to each page. I only got one response from the 5th Precinct page, and I had a, a short and strange Facebook Messenger conversation with someone who identified themselves only as Jerry. In this dramatization, my friend Nasser is reading the part of Jerry. Nasser Cause. Uh, I'm a senior at the University of Minnesota, um, majoring in history with a passion for journalism. Hi, I'm just curious who manages this page. I can't find any information in the About section. Thanks. All the Twin Cities Crime Watch pages are administrated by community volunteers. We are not the police and have no affiliation with the police, city, or any law enforcement agency. Thank you for your prompt reply. Uh, I see from looking at the 5th Precinct page transparency section that two people manage the site, but there's no information about who those people are. Is there someone I could talk to? My name is Logan Carroll. I'm a journalist looking to learn more about your network. We all try to keep our IDs on the DL. Too many threats, stalkers, and creeps. We constantly post dangerous people. Thank you for understanding. We can try to answer your questions here. Okay, thank you for being open. Uh, is there a name I can call you? Call me Jerry. What kind of threats do you get? Some of us have had our property vandalized, received threat letters at our homes, online attempts to discredit and expose our personal lives, libelous comments, contact employers, open threats, and harassment online on posts and other groups or pages and in messages. Wow, that's terrible. Why do people get so angry about what you do? Lots of reasons. They're criminals. Their family members are friends of criminals. They think we're cops. They have their own, often wrong, preconceived notions about our criminal justice system and how it works. They don't understand the realities of our criminal justice system. They have social and or political narratives to push that don't allow for holding people accountable for their actions. They perceive any report of crime as racist. They perceive other aspects of our posts as discriminatory or racist or fill in the blank, depending on the narrative. They perceive laws as racist and or discriminatory. They profit from the system as exists, etc. So how long have you been doing this, Jerry? A long time. What's the bottom line that you're looking for here? Like I said, I'm curious about your network. I'd say I'm curious for one main reason. I'm always concerned when I see journalism that doesn't have a real person's name attached. As a journalist, I think it's important to stand by your work. 
I'm curious about who you all are. I don't suspect anything nefarious or underhanded or anything like that, but I would like to understand who, specifically, you are. Well, as a journalist, start doing the kind of reporting we do and see how long it takes you to realize you don't want your name, family, job, home exposed. I can respect that, but there are other ways of being transparent and still protecting you and yours. If you'd be willing to talk, I'd be happy to guarantee to not use your real name, or if you'd prefer, I could send a list of questions that you could answer to whatever degree you're comfortable with. And of course, I'm open to other suggestions if you have another idea. I've been through this dog and pony show Q&A before. Not interested. Who did you speak to before? I'd love to look at their work. And then about three or four weeks later... I'm finishing up the episode this week, and I'd like to interview someone from your network. Is there anyone who'd like to give a comment? A couple things leaped out at me from this. They say that they're anonymous because of too many stalkers and creeps, as well as a laundry list of things they've had to endure because they run this network. But that doesn't hold up for three reasons. First off, I read the first two years of posts by the original page, and as near as I can tell, they've been anonymous since the very beginning. Second, Crime journalists have been putting their names to their work for, like, actual centuries. It's just something that real journalists do. Third, they also say it's because their attempts to discredit, like, something. It's kind of unclear what they're referring to with this, but it seems to me that they resent any attempt to be held accountable. Which is why, like, journalists identify who they are, is to be held accountable, to stand by their work. Next, they identify themselves as community volunteers, but they accepted donations. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to start asking for money soon myself. But what happens to the money they collect? It doesn't cost anything to run Facebook pages, and a basic website should only run you a few bucks a month. Now, they have a couple websites, but we're still talking about an annual budget in, like, the low triple digits. The last thing I want to say about this is that just because they're local doesn't mean they don't have an ulterior motive. Now, what are their day jobs? What are their political, ideological, and financial connections, if they have any? To paraphrase Eugene Merman, it would never have occurred to me that they were cops until they began insisting that they weren't cops. When they went silent, I started digging through the pages themselves, the posts, comments, and page likes. I learned a lot about their ideology and political agenda by going through their page likes, including one especially scrumptious little nugget of racism, but we're going to get into their politics and agenda in detail in the next episode. For now, I want to focus on the core of what they do, their actual crime coverage. To help me understand how they compare to more typical institutional crime journalism, I reached out to Ruth DeFoster. I'm Ruth DeFoster, and I am a professor uh, of journalism in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Minnesota. And my um, research area is media coverage of crime, mass shootings, and terrorism. You're going to hear Ruth's voice sprinkled throughout this episode, providing some additional context. Now, heads up, I've cut up her responses. Like, she and I had this very long, free-ranging conversation. We'd talk about something, move off it, then come back and expand on it 15 minutes later. I've sprinkled her quotes sort of throughout, not necessarily in the order that they came up in our conversation, and I've grouped some of her similar responses together. Now, what I have not done is rewrite the meaning of her words or decontextualize them. Of course, Ruth, if you feel I've misconstrued anything you've said, feel free to publicly blast me on Facebook. I promise to be meek, humble, and to make you look good. You're also going to hear more of Nasser.
Note that Crime Watch and Information definitely has multiple administrators writing posts, but there's no way to tell who wrote what, so Nasser will be giving voice to the network as a whole. The first thing you have to understand about Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information is that their coverage of race is extremely problematic. Three. So the MPD got back to me with their arrest information, broken down by race. I also dug through the last three months of posts by Crime Watch and Information and looked at the race of suspects. The story of the data was more complicated than I was expecting, and we'll get into it in next episode in detail. But for now, know that overall, they featured black people as suspects in posts about 57% of the time when they identified the race of the suspect, either in a description or in a picture. Meanwhile, about 60% of people arrested by the MPD were black, in cases where the race was identified. So the verdict. They're not racist, right? Episode over? That is unless you have something to add, Ruth. Yeah, one of the things that you learn as a young journalist is to, to be careful of over-reliance on official sources. I can think of just off the top of my head several cases even in the Twin Cities where the official police narrative was not necessarily what actually happened. I, I'm a mom, I have three kids, and a lot of other moms you know, are like, it's just so dangerous out there. I, I don't, I can't trust that my kids won't be kidnapped or assaulted or whatever. And I think that's because of kind of our immersion in this media environment, this news environment, where we're aware now for the first time in human history of every terrible thing happening at once. Now, that's not normal. It can lead people to develop what George Gerbner, the communication scholar, called mean world syndrome, where like people who are really heavy consumers of media, whatever that is, whether that's cable news, whether that's, you know, they're online for 10 hours a day, they tend to believe that the world is a more dangerous place than it is. You know, when a child is kidnapped at Walmart, that's newsworthy. It doesn't mean it happens all the time. It's incredibly rare, incredibly rare. But we see that, and then that can lead us to kind of believe that the world is more dangerous than it is. And I think you have to be really careful in sort of grappling with your own biases and your own perspectives, because I think what a lot of these sites that you're looking at do is that they have this sort of pre-existing underlying unspoken belief about the roots of crime um, and about the dangers that certain demographics pose. And they can then pick and choose individual cases to make their point. The first thing that I would say about relying on arrest data and so forth is that even that is skewed by implicit bias. So for example, we know based on some really good investigative journalism from ProPublica, who won a Pulitzer Prize for this, Mm -hmm. that black men are something like four times more likely to be pulled over than their white counterparts even though they're statistically less likely to have drugs on their person. Now, one of those larger narratives that Crime Watch and Information pushes is their emphasis on personal responsibility. Like the headline picture for the North Minneapolis page is even a picture from inside a school that shows a student reading a wall display that says, meet the person responsible for your choices, grades, success, words, actions. And each one of those words is like accompanied by a mirror. Like, you know, it's you! So if a person is fully and wholly responsible what happens in their life, and if black people are arrested at staggeringly greater rates than white people, then it follows that black people are inherently antisocial. Now you might recognize this as being blatantly racist, which is why I reject the premise as naive and overly simplistic, and why they never say this last part out loud. Now that's not to say they don't get close to saying it. For example, in one post, they published the mugshot of a black man, a repeat offender. We can only see his face, but he looks skinny with prominent cheekbones, a full goatee and mustache, and big ears that kind of flare out from the sides of his head. 
His hair is short but thick, and he has a resigned, almost stoic look on his face. He looks like a hard motherfucker. Now, in the comments, someone randomly posted a mugshot of another black man without any words. This guy has kind of fat cheeks, a baby face. He's clean-shaven, except like a wisp of a beard, so thin it might just be a shadow in the photo. His small ears pull in tight to the sides of his head, and only one is even visible. His eyes are sleepy, half-closed. His mouth is agape, and his head is cocked to one side. He just looks confused. Crime Watch and Information responded to the second photo, saying, Seems like they have something in common. They only have one thing in common. Since 2015, the U of M has not included racial descriptions and crime alerts if there isn't enough information to aid in identifying the individual. To mock this, Crime Watch and Information calls all perps in UMN crime notices ghost people, TM. The implication is that the U is hopelessly concerned with being not racist, so much that they live in a fantasy world where vital identifying information isn't given, and they're putting their students at risk. Elsewhere, they're not nearly as concerned about providing useful identifying information. Frequently identifying suspects as only black male. Robbery of business. Lionel Lakes Verizon. Suspect tied up employee. Developing. Suspect. Black male. Carjacking at gunpoint. Silver Ford Focus. Dents on the passenger side. Unknown specific third precinct location at this time. Will update if possible. Suspect. Black male. Black handgun. The most egregious example of this, and far and away the most bizarre crime watch and information post I read, was this. Keep in mind that the phrase grade schoolers was in quotation marks. 4th Street Southeast and 5th Avenue Southeast. Report of three grade schoolers pushing a bus driver. Suspect, three black males. They also gleefully trade in racial stereotypes about black people. A couple months ago, a proposed community banking co-op project erupted in scandal when the executive director and the CFO were fired for allegedly committing fraud. It was a complicated story. There were credible allegations of crimes committed by leaders of a project funded, in part, by the city. An ambitious and idealistic project to address racial disparities in access to financial services. It's not the kind of crime the network usually covers, but it's reasonable that they'd write about it. They summed it up like this. Poverty pimpin' pays in the land of progressive, poison, politically correct policy pandering. We get into tricky ground when we start blaming a news outlet for the comments other people post. But most outlets have moderation standards. This post is a good example of just under the surface racial resentment being encouraged and cheered on. Comments on that original, problematic, four post include, Did they go out and buy Escalades, Jewray, and other bling? And, Color me surprised which had one reaction, the laugh-out-loud emoji. That's not to say they never moderate the comments section. One post included a mugshot of a black man with dreadlocks. One comment on that post read, Fucker looks like the thing in the movie Predator. Laughing cry emoji, laughing cry emoji. The first time I read the post, there was a response to that, pointing out that the word predator was misspelled. When I was compiling my notes a couple days later, I noticed that the comment criticizing the misspelling had been taken down. Ruth has written a book about when the word terrorist gets used by media outlets. On the day that I went to talk to her, 
I asked her to briefly describe her work, and she talked about the word terrorist for a full 15 minutes. This definition of terrorism, in fact, there's two Dutch scholars who, for 30 years, all they've done, and this is really important work, I'm really glad they do it, but they've compiled these huge tomes that just have hundreds and hundreds of pages of all the different definitions of terrorism, because it's such a subjective term. And there is no federal statute, for example, in the United States defining it's a conversation killer at parties. So there was one post I just had to ask about. You, you've talked about media constructions of terrorism. Um, mm-hmm. Would you, I was wondering if you'd take a look at one of the posts. Sure. And maybe just give me your impressions. Well, I've got a couple posts I was hoping you'd look at. Um, please excuse my gross keyboard. I have a habit of reading news while I eat grapefruit. It's a terrible, <laughs> gross habit. But, uh... <laughs> That's not where I saw that going. <laughs> Um, but this is one of the posts. The ME has released the names of victims allegedly beaten to death by urban terrorist Leroy Devante Davis Miles. So their their name drop. They've used the word terrorist here. Interesting. Urban. Terrorist. Urban terrorist. Now, okay. So to me, I I very much read that as a dog whistle to he's black. That sounds very much like. Uh, um, just, just staying above that line of, <laughs> it's not racist. Wow. Um, that's deeply problematic. Yeah. Five. I, I have, ma- I have many qualms about that. It's pretty clearly dog whistle race, racial terminology without using, although they do it, <laughs> they do use some racial terminology in there too. I, I worry a lot about that kind of content. So when... When, when you read that and you started talking about it, I noticed that your whole body kind of tensed up and yeah. you started to speak a little faster. Like, it really affected you. Like I don't first. love when people throw around the word terrorism, especially because, I mean, the biggest thing that I, I want my students to take away when I lecture about the history of terrorism, and this is what I wrote about in the book, is that terrorism really is a meaningless word. Mm-hmm. It is completely subjective. Um, and it goes all the way back to, you know, there's that classic, you know, speech before the UN, the one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter. And I think that's never been more true than it is today. Um, it's always been true. But I mean, even in the United States, like y- you would be hard pressed to find even two branches of the government who agree on how to define it. The Department of Defense has its own definition. Patriot Act has a definition. FBI has its own definition. The CIA it's one of these terms that's really a catch-all for whatever the user wants to depict as the most dangerous, the most sort of threatening outside risk that they can kind of think of, the most evil. And that's, of course, deeply subjective. And I think if you, if you identify as a journalist, if you're someone who's disseminating news, you have to be very careful about thinking about your own biases. And that is not something that is happening based on that post. Now let's set aside the problematic racial portraiture. Six. There's another equally problematic Seven. Aspect of the Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information Network. Their lacks bordering on non-existent journalistic standards. I've been talking about them as a journalistic endeavor, but that's how they talk about themselves. They say in their Patreon description that 
We report about public safety and crime news that your city, state, and MSM won't tell you. MSM stands for mainstream media for any normies who are accidentally listening. I'm deeply critical of the mainstream media for a lot of reasons, but my critique is mostly about the ways that prominent outlets fail to live up to journalistic standards. This does not mean I reject those standards, though Crime Watch and Information clearly does. First up, they have an uncritical over-reliance on official sources. We spoke about this a little, how sourcing exclusively from police scanners gives you a mean world syndrome and racism. But the problem goes beyond that. Over a year after Metro Transit police officials promised the legislature that there would be more transparency in public access to transit crime data and incidents, they still have not made the information freely accessible and continue to leave the public in the dark about the reality of transit-related crime. The entirety of this post is an attention-grabbing headline and a link to an Alpha News article, which Alpha News attributes to Crime Watch, but we're not getting sucked into that whirling eddy of problematic Eight. self-referentialism. Reading the post, the source of the claim embedded in the headline is one comment made by a GOP state's representative. The claim is that the information isn't available on Metro Transit's website, which is dishonest because the information was made available to the public and the website lists a contact number to get the information. Now, I'm all about open data, and I do think that police departments need to make this information readily available, preferably on their websites, but they're just parroting GOP talking points. When they do supplement official information, it's with conjecture and unconfirmed rumors more than with, you know, actual reporting. Um, what? The victim is being asked to leave school, not the perpetrators? We have an audio recording of this police dispatch, but are not posting it because the victim is named. Verbatim, the dispatch to SRO 1553 states, We've got a threat report at Edison School, 700 22nd Avenue Northeast. The caller is stating that her son, redacted, is being asked to go home because he's being threatened by a group of Somalis. Somali juveniles that attend the school. Like, were you following the sourcing there? They heard a dispatcher say they heard a mom say she heard her son say he was sent home for being attacked by a group of Somali students. Also, and this shouldn't be a surprise, there's more unmoderated racism in the comments of this post. There was one particularly alarming incident during their coverage of the Trump rally. While posting pictures that allegedly showed protesters attacking Trump supporters, see episode 2, Manufacturing Left-Wing Violence, for more information about my use of the word allegedly in this context, someone commented this. Images of attackers are sent to slash poll 4chan to ID these people. Let me translate this for the normies again. Slash poll is the politically incorrect forum on 4chan. It's notorious as a hangout for far-right trolls. It was a major center of organizing harassment, including death threats, towards several women during the Gamergate affair. Crime Watch and Information responded with some useful info. Manny Begoni, the original source, took it down. It was a share onto this page, so when the original source removes it, it disappears from pages that shared it. However, there are other pages showing it. This comment ends with a link to a photo of two protesters clearly showing their faces. Now, this goes on and on and on. They're inconsistent in redacting addresses. Sometimes they do. Penn slash Lowry, off-duty police out with one who is saying he killed two people at address redacted for now, asking for backup to check. Sometimes they don't. They're not minors. And once a person is arrested, their info on booking is public record. Go back to school. It's great that they don't publish addresses or names of minors or sexual assault victims. Like, seriously, that's great, and I fully support it. 
But where do they draw the line? We don't know. What else don't they publish? We don't know. Are they consistent in their application of their rules? We don't know. Do they act on a whim and in a way that best supports their predetermined worldview and political agenda? We don't know. Their cavalier attitude has consequences, and not just when they wrongly implicate innocent people. One man was arrested and charged with committing check fraud. They described him like this. David Allen Adams, DOB, August 10th, 1981. Address 6XX Sheridan Ave North. In custody on felony warrants, burglary, forgery. Which makes it sound like he's like a roving criminal just laying waste to the city. But then you dig in and realize it's third-degree burglary, which means entering a building with the intent of committing a felony. And really what that means is he was hit with two felonies because he committed check fraud indoors. And then you read this comment on the post. Really messed up to exploit people like this. This is my dad who fell down the wrong path. We need to lift people up, not humiliate people for their mistakes. This is just sad to see posting this information about my father, trying to get views from it. People need to realize this is a real person who has flaws, but also has done a lot of good in people's lives. I'm not the first person to offer these critiques. People have been posting variations on them since the first page began. Early on, they offered a concise 11-point rebuttal to their critics. Yesterday's display from criminal sympathizers almost made me want to shut down this page. Almost. Instead, what's going to happen is a new era and new policies for comments on any Minneapolis crime watching information. First, I know that many people who view this page appreciate and value the information posted here, even though they may never comment or like the posts. I know that many people who view this page are frustrated by the lack of information coming from official sources and want to know more. I know that many people who view this page want to know what criminal activity is happening in their neighborhoods and what criminal elements may be living in their neighborhoods so they can better protect themselves, their loved ones, and their stuff. Thank you to those of you who support this page. Thank you to those of you who are looking out for your neighborhoods to make Northeast Minneapolis and surrounding a safer, more valuable place to live. After yesterday's display, it's even more evident that those of us who want safer neighborhoods and less crime are going to have to work even harder pay more attention and share more info to overcome the criminal elements and criminal sympathizers in our neighborhoods. Thanks for continuing to share info about crimes and activities happening in your neighborhoods, and continue to share this page with your law-abiding neighbors. This page will continue to do exactly what it's doing now, posting information about arrests, crime, criminals, the judicial system, public safety, and livability issues. As always, those who directly threaten other commenters on this page will have their comments removed and may be permanently banned. Those who harass, stalk, or threaten the admins of this page will be banned and may be subject to all recourse allowed by law. Posted below is what's going to change. Any place you see star star in this message, feel free to insert any number of applicable expletives. I'm leaving them out because I know that some minors look at this page. If you don't like the information posted by this page, go f*** yourself and keep your comments to yourself. If you don't like the editorializing or opinions made by this page and deem them to be preachy, political, or otherwise disagreeable to you, go f*** yourself and keep your comments to yourself. If you're a criminal sympathizer, go f*** yourself and keep your comments to yourself. If you make excuses for criminal behavior, go f*** yourself and keep your comments to yourself. If you see information on this page which doesn't apply to you or with which you disagree, feel free to ignore it or look the other way. And keep your comments to yourself. If you see your friend's mugshots or info posted here and want to defend or make excuses for them, go f*** yourself and keep your comments to yourself. If you don't want to see your face or info posted on this page, 
f*** up. If you f***ed up in the past and have been good for a while, don't f*** up now and you won't see a new mugshot of yourself posted here. If you can't abide by these new, very clear policies, you'll have a few options. Unlike this page and leave now. Continue to post negative comments about this page or comments sympathetic to criminals and get immediately, permanently banned. Stick. Start your own f***ing page. Oh, that's right. Someone already tried to do that. And the best they could do was steal from this page and repost it after it was already stale. Feel free to seek out the neighbors for a better Unicornotopia page and listen to the echo of nothingness. If you're stupid enough to continue spewing negative comments about this page on this page, you will be immediately banned and, just for fun, we may look up your public criminal history and post that here too. Have something negative to say about this message or this page? Let's get the culling underway. The Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information Network has tens of thousands of followers and likes, and they pretend to be an alternative to mainstream journalism, but they're not. Strictly speaking, they're not like fake news, but they fail to meet even the most basic journalistic standards, which causes like a lot of damage to the public, especially people of color. You can construct a story based on factual information by just omitting the rest of the story, the rest of the context. And so what I really worry about with uh, media coverage of crime is the omission of really important context that you, that you need in order to be able to construct like a meaningful and truthful worldview about crime. So if all you're seeing are, you know, the mugshots of men of color and you're living in New York City, you're going to develop a worldview that views black men as inherently um, dangerous and violent. Now that's not true, right? That's not true, but it goes into that systemic bias and it's because of the, the sort of omission of the bigger picture they are pushing a narrative so dangerous and demonstrably false that if it's not malicious, it's sure as hell negligent. I know this. I live in South Minneapolis, in the East Phillips neighborhood, and it's a complicated place. We live across the street from a school, but just a couple blocks outside this little bubble, and I've seen people shoot up in broad daylight on the steps of their apartment building. I lose count of how many needles I pick up from a footbridge over a highway at the edge of the neighborhood every summer. Once, I saw my neighbor with her kid at the park, and she asked me to pick up a needle she'd seen, and on my way to pick it up, I found another needle. Once, my wife and I were walking around the neighborhood after dark, and we realized we had just walked into the middle of a drug deal. Three guys, one over six feet tall, were standing in the sidewalk exchanging money and baggies. As we got closer, the huge guy barked at the other two. Hey, get off the sidewalk. These folks are trying to walk past. And they all wished us a good evening. It was very neighborly. This is far and away the most diverse place I've ever lived. My neighborhood has a huge Somali population, a huge Latino population, and the largest urban population of indigenous people in the U.S. or Canada. Walking down the street, you might overhear three or four languages besides English. It's not a big city, really, but I feel like a global citizen here. My biases are constantly being challenged. When I first moved to East Phillips, there's this small park just behind my house where a little gang of young Somali kids would play. I remember one morning shortly after I moved in, there's one small kid playing by himself, just kind of trundling around, and I watched him and sipped my coffee. And I realized that he was saying to himself over and over again, pika, 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 and I thought, huh, what a global citizen I am. Like, I wonder what language that is, what it means. And then I heard the kid go, 
Pika Pikachu! And then he kind of like threw an imaginary Pokeball. And I was like, oh, I know these kids. In my life, I have been attacked. I have a two-year-old and I worry about him. Violence is real. And there are scary, violent people in the world. But crime is complicated. People are complicated. The world is complicated. We need journalism that makes an honest attempt to reckon with that complexity. But there's a clear narrative in Minneapolis Crime Watch and information. Remember when I stressed at the beginning of this that their crime coverage lines up with arrest data overall? And that the picture becomes much more complicated when you dig into the details? Well, if you remove their coverage of repeat offenders and sexual predators from the equation, their bread and butter coverage gets skewed to cover black people even more than the arrest data. In their day-to-day -day coverage, they push a narrative that black people are inherently criminal. However, when you shift your focus and look at their coverage of repeat offenders and sexual predators, the demographics of their coverage shifts and more white people are covered. Like it's almost as though they're pushing different narratives with different kind of coverage. But what are those narratives? Where do they come from? And how do they play into the overall agenda of the Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information Network? They're pretty cagey, so I don't really know. But come back next time, and we'll see if we can't make some educated guesses. Well, so long. I hope you have a good couple of weeks, and if you'd like to support us, Follow us on Twitter at unbalanced underscore MN and find us on Facebook at unbalanced.mn. You can also find us online at unbalanced.mn. If you have any questions, if you have any comments or concerns, if you have any complaints, if you just want to call me a cuck, or if you'd like to leak some info from within the Freedom Club, you can get a hold of me at logan at unbalanced.mn. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. But you didn't really do anything, so I want to thank the people who did. Thanks to Nasser, you can find him on Facebook and Instagram at The Neighborhood Reporter. And to Ruth, her book, Terrorizing the Masses, Identity, Mass Shootings, and the Media Construction of Terror, is available at eBay or wherever books are sold these days. And lastly, to my brother Dan, as always, thank you for doing the music. escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space!